Welcome to the Anxious Morning, where four days a week, we take a look at ideas, concepts, and lessons designed to help you understand and overcome your anxiety. For more information, visit theanxiousmorning.com. Today, I want to talk about the things that I don't do when I'm anxious. These are things I used to do as a matter of course, but have left behind in recovery. They are no longer necessary for me because recovery taught me that they were never necessary. Things I don't do when anxious. I don't immediately declare an emergency to anyone with an earshot. When I was stuck and struggling, my default reaction to a flash of anxiety or fear triggered by thoughts or sensations would be to speak my fear out loud. I had my safe people that I really believed needed to know that I was suddenly feeling weird or that my anxiety is going through the roof. I would often describe my current set of symptoms in great detail so as to explain clearly why I needed to talk about them and be so afraid of them. I don't do this anymore. I rarely tell anyone that I'm anxious because why should I? I don't begin to instantly try to soothe myself. There was a time that I would immediately start to breathe in a special way or attempt to meditate so I could calm down quickly. I was the king of soothing through temperature. I would go open the window and stick my head out into the winter air or crank up the air conditioner and a fan and stand in front of that. I would also launch into a pretty impressive array of little ticks and body language rituals that I somehow associated with fighting anxiety or calming down. I still haven't figured out how pulling in my ear was supposed to save me from certain doom, but I don't do this anymore, so I don't have to figure that out. I don't run to my safe places. I would head immediately for my bedroom, the bathroom, or my mother's sofa when anxious. Those were my go-to spots. If I was out when anxiety struck, my entire reason for being would immediately revolve around moving closer to those spots as quickly as possible or trying to simulate those spots if I couldn't do that. This was really disruptive in my life. It's part of what created agoraphobia, and I was completely teaching myself that I had to be home and in my comfort spots in order to be okay. Man, was my brain wrong about that, and I don't do that anymore. When I get anxious, I just get anxious wherever I am at the moment, and it plays out without having to go anywhere in particular to feel better. I don't treat myself like I'm made of glass and about to shatter. This was a big one. I developed the bad habit of interpreting anxiety symptoms as signs of fragility and interpreting catastrophic thoughts as predictions of the future. Naturally, I began to treat myself like I was about to shatter into a million pieces. I would walk slowly, stand up very slowly. I would stay clear of loud noises or bright lights try not to eat things that might make me feel different, and I was very engaged in the process of not letting my heart beat too fast because, no. Then I would rest, 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 because fragile people need plenty of rest, right? Much of life was roped off and placed into the too much section. I was literally acting as if I was made of crystal and always on the edge of breaking. I don't do that anymore. Kinda the opposite, but that's not good either. And that's a topic for another time. I don't try to find total assurance that I will be okay. This was a huge problem for me. All the other stuff I'm talking about really speaks to this need to guarantee my safety and control outcomes. I try to figure everything out, including the number of heartbeats I had been allotted in my lifespan, 
the nature of reality and existence and death. Have you ever tried to figure out death? You can't. But still, I tried and tried and tried. And it really did make things worse for me on so many levels. I don't do that anymore. I am sure enough, and full credit to Sally Winston for that, about life now, which is the default state for a non-distorted person. I don't pretend that bad things don't or can't happen, but my risk assessment math is far more accurate now than it was back then, and I could not be happier about that. Again, I can keep going for pages and pages with this, but hopefully you get the idea. The things a non-disordered person does not do are almost as important as the things they are doing when it comes to understanding the difference between disordered and non-disordered. I'm guessing you can relate to at least some of this. And if you find yourself thinking that there is no possible way you could stop doing these things because it feels, I used to base all my actions on how it felt too. But now I don't, and my life is way better than it used to be. Think about that. From your perspective, I may be living like some kind of daredevil thrill seeker on the edge of ruin, but here I am doing just fine. What does that tell you about the nature of disordered anxiety? If you're enjoying the Anxious Morning Podcast and would like to get a copy delivered every morning into your email inbox, visit theanxiousmorning.email and subscribe to the newsletter. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or some platform that lets you rate or review the podcast, leave a five-star rating. Maybe write a quick review to let other people know that you love the podcast so they might find it too. It really helps me out. Thanks a bunch.